Welcome to the latest episode of The Player's Voice, where this week we were joined by Cork's Amy O'Connor. My name is Alan O'Mara. I'm the host of this podcast, a former Cavan goalkeeper, and a mental performance coach with sports and business leaders around the world. Fresh from captaining the Rebel County for the All-Ireland, and from winning an All-Star, Amy sat down with me to reflect on a memorable year and some of the lessons she learned along the way. We talked about what it was like to score 3-7 in an All-Ireland final, including a hat-trick within two minutes. Incredibly, as you'll hear, she was so in the zone during the game that she didn't realise she'd scored three goals until after the final whistle. Amy discussed how much the GPA's Jim Madden Leadership Programme has impacted her professional development and helped to make her a better and more authentic captain. She also chatted about her underage international soccer career with Ireland and why her love for Camogie meant that it was always going to be the sport for her. Before we get started, I just want to say thanks for listening and that I hope you enjoy this powerful and inspiring conversation of the Players Voice podcast, brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. Enjoy. Amy O'Connor, thanks so much for joining us on the Players Voice. Thanks, really, for having me. Yeah, a real pleasure. I'm really glad to have you on with us. And I suppose the easiest place to start based on the year you've just had is as captain and winning all Ireland final and having the game you, you did have, which we'll get to also. But how's life been as an all Ireland champion the last couple of weeks and months? Uh, brilliant. Busy, very, very busy, uh, but brilliant. Um, we were kind of back to reality fairly soon afterwards, just coming back with the club and stuff. So the club stuff came around pretty quick in the like in the aftermath. You had what did you have like a couple of days or a week to yourselves, and you were you were straight back into it. I think I was one of the lucky ones. I think I nearly had two full weeks, um, but some girls had only just a week. Um, so it was it was nice for me in a way. Um, but yeah, look, we didn't have much time at all. Just kind of back straight back into it, back down dirt. Yeah, I suppose then taking today, it might be. And maybe we can look a little bit at it from the rearview mirror of like I think that was your fifth All Ireland, right? Um, I suppose I was just curious, like was was there anything about this one that was like a little extra special? I know like you'd bridged the gap from Cork at last one I think in twenty eighteen. So by by your by your standards and your terms, that's almost like a famine down down there. Um, and I know you've been close and been in finals and stuff. So was kind of bridging that gap and kind of getting back over the line. Did that make this one kind of somewhat extra special for you, Amy? Yeah, definitely. I suppose I came in as like a 17-year-old, 18-year-old minor, still playing minor. And we won in 2014 and there was a couple of us came in at that same time. Uh, so we won that in 2014, won again in 2015, got to the All-Ireland Final in 2016. We were beaten by Kilkenny on the day. And then we won again in 17 and 18. So for the last few years, it's been a very strange couple of years for us. Um, And, you know, I suppose the hunger and the desire to get back there is something that we've been chasing for a long time. Um, and it was very special to get over the line. And, you know, again, as I say, with that's that particular group of girls that you come in with and um, you start your journey with and, you know, you're probably with them even younger from 14 upwards. A lot of us are, you know, we've been together a long time. Um, so it was nice to get over the line. And yeah, it was definitely extra special this year. And then even like listening to you there then, like, so you kind of had that experience where you come straight through as like a fresh cub, straight from mine or straight in, you win an All-Ireland and you win a couple in a row and kind of you're there, thereabouts every year. So at that point, is there is some of you thinking like, sure, this is class, like train hard, work hard, win All-Irelands, this is, this is the life like. Yeah, I suppose. And, and at times, you know, I look back on maybe 2014 and 2015 in particular, and I probably didn't enjoy it as much as I should have. Um, it was only when, you know, you start to lose and have that famine I suppose that you really kind of think to yourself I probably should have enjoyed it a bit more um, 
But again, I suppose when you do lose, it gives you that bit of hunger to, to kind of come back again. And, you know, even though I've been very fortunate, I've been lucky enough to, to be on a winning team um, on a number of occasions. When you win another, you want to go again and win another. So um, I don't think that hunger will ever subside in a way. Uh, but yeah, it, it is really nice. And as I said, it was extra special this year. What about it made it so special, Amy, like in terms of, like especially I suppose on the back of two final defeats in a row, right? So obviously you're there, thereabouts, like right as, I mean, as close as you can be without getting there, basically. Um, like is there any part of those experiences that like wear you down, that drain you, make you question things? Or like what kind of learnings did you take from those experiences that kind of helped you this year and helped drive you all forward as a group? I suppose there's a couple of parts to it. Um, obviously, we've been very, very close. We haven't been too far away on, on any given year. Um, thank God we've been very fortunate and very lucky. Uh, but I remember, you know, after the game and you're really down and I suppose you're almost grieving it because you've put so much into it for the nine, ten months previous and, and essentially you've nothing to show for it at the end. Um, and I know people will talk about the friendships and, and they're brilliant, but essentially at the end of that year, you don't have an All-Ireland medal to show for it after all of your work. Uh, but then I suppose I just think you know of going to Crumlin this year and after the after we had won and you see that there's so much more important things in life than GA than Camogie than sport and um, so that helps you put it into perspective um, and I suppose when you lose it's kind of um, as I say like a grieving process essentially and you kind of feel like you haven't done enough so you're always chasing okay what do I need to do next to get over the line what do I need to to do next um, so you're kind of constantly it's like a hamster wheel going around in your head you're constantly trying to, to get to that next level um, so yeah I suppose it's difficult you put the heart um, to one side when you go in on All-Ireland Final Day and uh, you know some people use it as revenge or you know motivation and, and so on but you need to put it to one side and just have that, that clear goal in your head of what you want to achieve so taking the All-Ireland Final this year like so yeah I'm sure you'd only be human if you know brain wanders off to oh the what happened here last year or what happened the year before kind of mentally yourself and kind of as a group like where were you at in terms of pre-game this year kind of what was the focus in terms of like what that day was about for you and what like I suppose result aside kind of what the day or what the performance was going to be about for you all I suppose for us um it was about ourselves we didn't think about anything else we didn't think about the opposition um obviously we had huge respect for Kilkenny Galway and Waterford in the knockout rounds of the championship as well as anyone we played in the group stage but it was never about anyone else it was about us and we knew if we performed that we would be successful um and we were extremely well prepared going into the All-Ireland final and we've always been very prepared in fairness but there was something very different about this year I just felt unbelievably prepared and prepared for whatever Watford would throw at us on that day and um, that gives a huge sense of confidence then when you're going out onto the pitch um, you, knowing that you've essentially ticked every box and those boxes go way back to last December when we met for the first time as a group um, but having that feeling that you're prepared is kind of gives you that bit of confidence when you're going around the pitch and I suppose we knew what the All-Ireland Final Day was like as well and um, you know a lot of us have been there on a number of occasions Um so we knew exactly the run of the day, how things would go, um, all that kind of stuff. So that was probably new to Waterford as well on that day. Um, and maybe that that kind of drained them and, you know, the lead up to it and you know, all the media duties that are involved in it. We were really used to that and well prepared. And I think that definitely helped us. Yeah, so I suppose even though like you had had, you'd got to previous All-Ireland Finals and maybe come out the wrong side of it, but ultimately then you were kind of able to flip the experience that you had to kind of, basically 
like enhance your sense of confidence and readiness and preparedness for this one that was coming around. It sounds like there's a bit of that in terms of yes, the results previously didn't go that way, but rather than looking back and you know you can be whinging or moaning or crying, but actually taking some of the learnings from it, the experience from it, and then using it to be ready for this one. Was that kind of what was going on there? Yeah, definitely. I think we had one member of our 32-player panel that had never experienced All Ireland Vital Day. Oh, wow. Um, and that member was... The only reason Aoife had never experienced it before is because she was a minor. It was her first year up. Mm. Um, so we were very fortunate with that. You know, even if a player hadn't experienced it as an in, as a senior player, they had experienced it as an intermediate player. So I think that was a huge advantage to us this year. And as I say, we were extremely well prepared and all our focus was on ourselves. I know there was a lot of talk outside of our dressing room. You'd hear afterwards, like, oh, we were strong favourites and stuff like that but it was something that we really genuinely never took any notice of and I know teams will say that and people will come out and say that afterwards but we genuinely took no notice of that at all it was just about the group ourselves putting in a performance letting go of the outcome I think was a big thing for us this year and you know obviously you're chasing that win for so long but if you let go of that outcome and you just prepare as best you can the performance will come and I think we did that and was that something Amy, was was that a difference from maybe previous years where, you know, you head into finals, obviously they are all about winning, like there's a winner and a loser, but because of the experiences that you'd had, was that something you'd consciously as a group try to detach from in terms of trying to focus on like the process and of the performance side of it and kind of letting it happen rather than heading in thinking, oh, final coming up here, we need a, a big performance or a big effort or just that kind of that kind of mentality or attitude towards it? Yeah, we did a lot of work with Michelle O'Connor this year. She was our sports psychologist. Um, and we never really focused on the outcome of anything. We always focused on the process. And it's so cliche and you hear so many GA players talking about it. And it probably drives me insane sometimes. Um, but it is true. Like, we didn't focus on the outcome at all. And even on my own personal performance, um, you know, in previous years, you'd be going into games and you'd be like, oh, I have to score three points today or I have to score two goals or, you know, that kind of mm -hmm. really setting setting your targets. And while you do set targets for yourself, I let go of the outcome. Um, and I feel that that really benefited me. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the understatement of this entry because I know it was, I think you scored, a, was it a hat-trick at 119 seconds I read in the match report? I know I'd seen it at the time where I saw some clips, but I was just reading an article this morning before we talked and I think it was 119 seconds. So, I mean, my uh, my question is, how does someone even do that? <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose like, if I look back on it, you know, all of, and I know again, this is so cliche, but, you know, Fiona Keating put one on a place for me, Katrina Mackey put one on a place for me and um, you know something I really adapted this year in particular was my movement, my movement off the ball, it was something that I, I really needed to work on and I've probably been working on it a lot over the last few years in particular since I met Liam Cronin um, and I really went after that movement piece and you know creating space for myself off the ball, getting myself into to better goal scoring positions um, but as I say Fiona Keating put one on a place for me and, and Katrina put one on a place for me so um, very grateful that I have teammates like that are, that are willing to do that and I suppose with Cork Camogie we've built a really really good group and it's not about an individual it doesn't matter who scores um, you know who gets the takes the freeze who takes puck outs who takes the side it doesn't actually matter as long as the outcome is the best thing for the team um, and obviously my teammates recognised that um, and I was in the better position at that given moment so they passed and thankfully they went into the back of the net. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, and like obviously, like totally, like get that mindset mentality, like the group first. But then I just think it's just such an interesting thing because like many teams will say that, and the scores, you know, will happen in different ways at different times with different people. But this is just one of these weird cases where like it all happened, and it did happen with you. And I'm kind of just curious, like mentally, like what's going on as this, like, because it must have been one of the craziest little windows of your, certainly your sporting life in terms of just like a minute or two or three where this is all happening. Do you, like, did you realise what was going on at the time? Like, where were you at mentally? Um, I, I honestly didn't realise I scored a hat-trick until afterwards. Um, after I, after whistle went to river and we were celebrating, someone came over and said something about a hat-trick and I was like, I think it was Fiona Keating. And I was like, what is she on about? <laughs> um, but I remember vividly at that time we were, we had four goals on the board and I remember I'd, I knew I had scored two and I knew Sorsha had scored the other but I wasn't sure who had gotten the fourth goal um, and that that's genuine and even my boyfriend slags mm. me you know he's like you had to have known like I genuinely didn't um, until after the, after the whistle had gone but I suppose in an All-Ireland final all you care about is the next piece the next play um, and that's that's genuinely where we were all at. And you know, when we were kind of chatting about the game afterwards, um, we were laughing because I think there was sixty-three minutes on the clock, and there was four minutes of added time. Um, it was just under sixty-three minutes, and I think Ashling Thompson was dropping too deep, and we were I think nineteen points up at this point, and Ashling was dropping too too deep. And I remember Laura Tracy like really getting stuck on Ashling saying like we're too deep here we're too deep and that's where we were at as a group and um, you know that desire to win and keep mm. putting in a performance and keep sticking to what we had worked on all year um, so that that kind of epitomised us really No yeah it's like that's a great example of you know people have been focused on their jobs and the process and doing the right thing and you mentioned that was something that I feel like you obviously as a group tried to like work on and kind of evolved in terms of helping you you all be ready Um just even coming back to like just the, the last bit, the last bit around that kind of like window of those goals, Amy. Like, just out of interest, like, are you in like, uh, is that like a flow state of like just kind of like f- floating around, playing your game, kind of having like feeling great, or are you were you in kind of more of like a clutch, really focused on the next ball, the next detail, like the smaller things? Like, just, I'm just again, just curious, just mindset wise, kind of where you were at in that little that little window of time. Probably a mix of both, I suppose. There's obviously mm. that element of being focused on the next ball, the next play, the next everything. Uh, but being in that flow state is definitely something that I felt. Um, and it, it's it's a it's an unusual feeling to to feel. Like I I remember for the first goal in particular, when I struck the ball, how nice the ball felt when I struck it. You know things like that that kind of vividly stick out. And even my very first touch on the day, I remember vividly how that ball felt, how the hurley felt. Um, for the first score, for the first free, you remember these things very vividly. Um, but it just comes naturally when you're in that flow state. Um, and I suppose like those flow states happen kind of quite rarely in your career. Mm. You know, as much as you strive for that performance and and you strive to to give your best performance, it's rare that you reach that state. Um, and like that state might happen in a junior B challenge match up in the club or it might happen on all Ireland final day um, and I was just very lucky that it did happen on all Ireland final day for me um, but like at the same time then you work your whole life for a performance like that um, and that's something obviously you know you only dream about as a child and I've definitely dreamt about it and I've definitely you know wanted to perform like that on the biggest day but sometimes that just doesn't happen and as I say you know it might happen 
in a training game up in the club or junior B challenge match or whatever it is. But I was just very fortunate that for all the work that I put in, that it happened on the right day or the best day that it could have possibly ever happened. Yeah, it's class because like obviously like from a mental skills point of view, performance psychology point of view, you can you'll do your work and you'll do your preparation and like like what you what you're describing there is like an ideal state that athletes often like strive for. It's like an optimal state that most want, and then sometimes you go for it and it doesn't happen. There's like a deterioration of performance, but for you to get that on that day, like it must have been such a I'm sure it's a feel. Like just even hearing you like describe like catching the the slitter, like and just knowing it, like that's such a special. Even for yourself, I could see kind of smile on your face. Like it's such a special feeling in terms of sport and being an athlete and doing all the work to get to to get to those moments and to be in the arena and to be able to perform on those big days. And then I suppose the other big moment that I definitely want to touch upon is just the final whistle. And obviously you were captain of the group as well and just kind of, I'm sure that if there was extra stuff with that. Um, but just when actually translating all the preparation, all the learning, all the years of work, the performance, as you said, you gave that example there, I think it was Laura and Ashing Thompson like pushing up, even though it was kind of trying to see out the job at that point for most people. So then the whistle goes, what's the, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what's your kind of memories of that as you look back? Um, Nothing more than relief. <laughs> That's all I can describe it as. Uh, just relief to get over the line again uh, because we'd been waiting for so long. Um, And yeah, like a weight had been lifted off our shoulders uh, that's genuinely how I felt, just complete weight lifted. Um, and obviously joy and happiness and delight for everyone and genuinely happy for, for members of the panel who hadn't been fortunate enough to win in All-Ireland before and for those who had, you know, worked so hard to get over the line again, for those that had, you know, had to come back from terrible injuries and things. Uh, but relief is definitely the emotion I would use to describe how I felt at that moment. <laughs> and uh, when does, I suppose... When does that relief, because I, I totally get that, because again, it's so backed up in like in memories, experiences, emotions. And when does that relief kind of, are you, because sometimes it does, it, might, it mightn't even have happened yet. Let me kind of throw that in as well. But when does that relief start coming to like that sense of like joy and pride of being able to like look back on it and be like, yeah, like that's what happened. That's what we did. Like, has that, has that happened for you yet? I know you mentioned earlier, like the club and having to switch lanes and that kind of stuff. So have, have you even had time to kind of fully engage or feel or like I don't think I've reflected on it like fully yet um, I haven't mm -hmm. watched the game back from start to finish yet and I hope to do that in the next couple of weeks when the club championship finishes um, and it's definitely something that I want to do obviously we have reflected to a certain point as a group and you know we felt that joy and that happiness and relief again I suppose <laughs> Um but yeah, over the coming weeks, I hope to, to really sit down and reflect on it. And, um, you know, as a group, we will obviously get together and reflect on it going into next year again, please God. Um, but yeah, I suppose relief, happiness, joy, mm -hmm. a mix, a mix of emotions completely. Sure. No, I just, one of the reasons I asked was just in the last episode, I was talking to Kieran Kilkenny and he had said like, you know, the adrenaline and like the, the emotions of playing in all our finals like there's nothing like it like to be there and to be the memories that you have the bonding with like your teammates with your friends with colleagues or whatever it is and then he said just you find yourself like you know a week or so later just sitting on your couch like looking for something to watch on Netflix or whatever and being like what do I do now or like what happened there Um, and I was just kind of 
I was just kind of curious around your experience of that and kind of then trying to flip back from that extreme high. But you had an extreme high as an individual, but also the team has an extreme high. Um, and at what point that kind of switches back? Like, do you find like when do you find yourself back in work or trying to focus on work? And are you able to? What's that whole process like as you try and flip back into, let's call it the life side of the sport life balance? Yeah, I suppose it's a hard one because like, um, you know, I, I obviously I work for a really good company, Work Vivo. Um, and, you know, through for nine months of the year, my main focus is Cork Camogie. And, you know, every day and every kind of day is planned around Cork Camogie, Cork Camogie, Cork Camogie. And my work is very supportive of me um, to do that. But when, when the season then comes to an end, you're kind of, you know, you're in work and you're continuing to work as normal, but you don't have that extra thing to be planning around, essentially. Um, obviously, you have the club um, and stuff like that, but, you know, that constant feeling in your head that you're preparing for something uh, probably goes for a couple of months of the year. And, and that I actually do find that very challenging. Um, and it, I miss it terrible when, you know, when we're not training with Cork and, you know, that's for maybe three, four months of the year. But I do, I do miss it terrible. Um, and I can probably resonate with Kieran Kenny and thinking like, what do you do now? <laughs> what does one do with a free Tuesday night? <laughs> and I, I suppose the obvious question is like, what do you do? Because I feel like, like I've been lucky to do this series for, it's like for a full two years now, I get to talk to people from different walks of life backgrounds and like obviously the All-Iron Finals, the high example of it. And But also then there's just people, you know, if you lose a semi-final, a quarter-final, a qualifier, you're still going through the same thing in a different way of like that void now kicks in and that kind of window, um, those kind of blank speeches blank spaces of time excuse me so I suppose like what's that and I know the club does slot in but what's that like for you in terms of that like that mental capacity or that kind of real high prioritization or purpose and whatever other words you'd want to describe when that frees up like what does go on within yourself and how do you navigate that as an individual yeah I suppose like while I suppose while there is a, a void of time or you have that free time, you'll always find some way to, to fill it in. Uh, I don't know what it is, but like sometimes, you know, in the off season, I think I'm better off playing, being playing with Cork because I feel kind of sometimes that I'm more busy in the off season than I am when I'm playing inter-county. Um, I suppose just work, um, you know, I started a new college course, things like that to fill the void. Um, obviously, I enjoy going on nice holidays and things like that um, at the end of the year. And that fills the void, I suppose. But um, yeah, it's kind of a, a difficult question. No, it is. And that's why it's like, I suppose it's one of the reasons I asked it. And I know Kieran didn't have, he, he would say he kind of felt uneasy at kind of sitting still. So we'd fill it with different things. And it's always just a, I'm always just kind of curious around because I suppose where I'm coming at it from, Amy, is, you know, the training, the playing, the repair. And like there's, there's a big energy spend and time spent on that. And obviously it also energizes you back, by the way. Like it does, like there's a give and take with it. But I suppose then just trying to, would you ever find those windows where you know you kind of need some time to yourself or for yourself or to kind of recharge yourself in little ways? Like, is that something that you would be aware of or recognize as you kind of like you're in the intercounty, let's call it the hamster wheel you mentioned earlier on, you're in that for a number of years now. Like, is that something you're becoming more aware of as you get older in terms of minding yourself in that regard and like recharging yourself? Yeah, definitely. Um, something that I'd be very aware of. And, you know, this year there was times where it was extremely busy in, say, work or um, outside of work and, and with sport. And you need to check in with yourself to make sure that you have enough time and enough of a battery to keep going. And there obviously has been times where your battery is a bit low and you definitely need to recharge. But again, having a good support system around like 
Cork and Mulgay are brilliant for, for things like that. Um, we had an incredible strength and conditioning coach this year in Wesley O'Brien and he checked in with us for every single training session, every single match. How are you feeling? You know, rate from a scale of one to ten, how you felt this morning, how, you know, things like that. And just making sure that your battery was full all of the time to, to make sure that you can keep going and keep performing on that pitch. Um, and again, as I say, I've been very lucky to be working with a company like WorkVivo who would, you know, carry out regular checks like that as well and making sure you're okay and, you know, making sure that your battery is full. And, and if it isn't and you need to take some time, then that's okay too. And what would, out of interest, what would work for you in terms of trying to recharge when you recognise, hey, energy's a bit low or there's a bit of a dip there? Like what kind of things do work for you in that space in terms of just like zapping the battery back up or getting it out of low power mode and back into back into a decent a decent number? Yeah, I suppose for me, I enjoy like just going on holidays, things like that, you mm-hmm. know, opportunities that you wouldn't get throughout the year typically. Um, you know, going on a holiday, going somewhere nice, now have a camper van and we go in the camper van and I find that the only time I really truly switch off in my life is when I'm away in my camper van. Um, so that's nice too. Um, but yeah, I suppose spending time by yourself as well. You know, there's it's it's nice to spend some time by yourself and, and I, I enjoy that. Um, and I feel that that really helps me to, to charge my battery, I suppose. No, because that's like one of the reasons I, I asked that, Amy, is like, you know, there's... um. I think when it comes to like our well-being and our energy, it's all about just finding what works for you, you know, and it's always just, always just trying to widen out for anyone that's listening, trying to widen out ideas or thinking of things differently. And to, you mentioned the camper van there, which I didn't know about. Is that something that you had like invested in to have to just be able to like get away in, around Ireland, like easy peasy or kind of what was the rationale there? And like what you said that it helps you relax. What is it about it? Basically, my boyfriend had me plagued to buy one <laughs> and I just gave in. I just gave in. Um, so just before COVID, we bought one and I I always knew I wanted a cameraman but I thought like when I retired and when I was like 60 <laughs> I didn't think as like a 25 year old or a 24 year old that I would have one um, but yeah it was the best thing we ever bought so um, we upgraded was it last year or the year before and we probably didn't get as much use out of it this year as we would have liked to um, but we're hoping to go in now next week um, and just do a bit of a road trip around Ireland or whatever uh, but we really enjoy it as I say it's probably mm-hmm. the only time in my life where I feel like I truly switch off um, so yeah Why is that if you don't want me asking it why is that or out of interest like what is it about that kind of activity or that kind of environment that helps you switch off whereas you know because I say it from the perspective and I've done this myself you find yourself in you could be abroad at a hotel in the sun at a pool and all of a sudden you're on your phone again or whatever you know um, so what is it about that just out of interest that kind of helps you really like switch off and, and relax I suppose the location because you end up finding yourself you know in the middle of nowhere it could be by off the beaten track yeah we're off the beaten track where there's nobody around and sometimes you might not even have signal um, so that's nice too um, and yeah, I really find that I switch off. I, I don't know, is it the camper van vibe or whatever it is, but mm-hmm. I definitely switch off, yeah. No, I love that. Um, that's great. To ha- and just to have that as well, to be able to do it whenever you can, you know. Um, and then I was going to ask you too, you mentioned, there was two things there you mentioned. So one, you just mentioned you're, you're, you're working with WorkVivo. I know you're a qualified pharmacist as well. So maybe just tell us a little bit around your kind of, your day-to-day work, what you're up to, kind of what that strand of your life is like as well. Yeah, so I qualified as a pharmacist in 2019. So I did four years in UCC and I did a year in Royal College of Surgeons in Dublin doing a master's. Um, and I did a, a little bit of work in, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, community pharmacies, some locoming. Um, and I met John Goulding. So John is a Cork man. He's a Vincent's man, same club as myself. Um, and he asked me to come work for him. He had started up a company called WorkVivo. 
Um, and I was kind of like, Jesus, you know, I studied pharmacy for nearly six years here. <laughs> Why would I go work for a technology company? Um, but for anyone that I have met John Goulding, you'll understand why someone would go and work for him. Uh, so I started off in March 2020, just before the pandemic. Um, and I've been there ever since and it was the best decision I ever made. Um, so we were acquired by Zoom in April or May of this year. Um, and I'm a project manager there. So I work with different organisations around the world to roll out an app to to their organisation so that they can improve their employee experience. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. Was, as I say, the best decision I ever made. Um, great company to work for. Great culture. You know, what John has created has been nothing short of incredible. I work with brilliant people. Um, and yeah. Brilliant. So like, yeah, it sounds like it wasn't something that was part of I was going to say the master plan that we all make when we're 17 and never actually do half of it anyway or go in different directions. But like a, a door opened up for you and you decided to kind of explore that and to see what that would be like. Is that, is that kind of how, yeah, that's how it went down? Um, obviously, I'm still a pharmacist. I still, you know, mm. stay on the register and engage in like CPD and stuff like that to, to stay as a practicing pharmacist if I wanted to. Um, but right now, I, I really enjoy what I do. As I say, I'm a project manager and, you know, even though like pharmacy and tech might seem a million miles away, a lot of the skills are transferable. And when I was first starting, that was something that John had said to me. Um, you know, your skills will be transferable. If you can do mm -hmm. a pharmacy degree, you can do X, Y, or Z. Um, so yeah, probably wasn't part of the master plan. Definitely wasn't part of the master plan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Now, sometimes you just got to, uh, you roll with it and instead of a door opens up, it's always worth kind of peeking your head in to see what it's like. Maybe you like it, maybe you won't, but it's always nice to kind of, to explore it and learn and learn from it. And then you mentioned even like transferable skills there too, Amy. Like I'm sure between your academic background, studies course and your sporting background and even the work you're doing now, like do you find there's a lot of those skills that are transferable across different walks of your life and to kind of have, to be able to help you do different things or achieve different things like in different areas of your life? Yeah, definitely, 100%. Um, I probably, as I said, didn't realise how many transferable skills I got from my pharmacy degree that I could use in say the technology industry uh, but there's definitely a lot that I can transfer and then obviously going on to the pitch um, attention to detail you know discipline things like that that you learn say in pharmacy in college in work on the pitch they're all transferable um, amongst each other so yeah lots of transferable skills and even leadership, for example, you know, I completed a Jim Madden leadership course there a few years ago with the, the GFA as well. Found that brilliant. I learned a lot about it and that has really helped me in my career and work, but it's also helped me then on the pitch as well. Yeah, I know. We definitely, a couple of the diff of different players that have been on the series have done the Jim Madden leadership program. I know definitely Kate Keeney comes to mind. She had spoke about it while we were talking and I think um, Chloe Mori was on as well talking about it. When you look back on that, you, you mentioned there, it was kind of helpful. Like, what, how was it helpful for you as an individual in terms of being in that environment with like inter-county players from different, like different counties, different parts of Ireland, maybe different ends of the spectrum from, you know, starting off or towards the end of their playing careers. What did you kind of take from that experience and how was it helpful to you? Um, I suppose I was probably 22 maybe when I started, maybe 21. 22, 23, I'd say, when I started doing the, the Jim Madden Leadership Programme. We started it just before COVID. Um, so it started, you know, it was all in person and then obviously we had to move online. Um, I suppose the same year I was named as the court captain and I was quite young at the time. Um, and what that course taught me is, 
you know, it's okay to be a different leader to the person that has gone before you. So I suppose when you first, when I first became captain, it was a role that I definitely thought an awful lot about. Um, not in terms of becoming captain, but when, once I was mm-hmm. the captain, I thought an awful lot about, you know, what it is to be a leader. And, you know, an awful lot of the time in people's heads, a leader has to be like the loudest in the dressing room, loudest on the pitch, things like that. And that was definitely something that I probably thought about um, throughout that year. But I remember specifically being in some workshop with Connor Myler. I remember he spoke an awful lot about... Um, being an authentic leader, like being yourself as a leader, and that's the best leader then that you can be. Um, and this year then, when I was the the captain, say for the second time in twenty twenty three, um, I definitely brought more of a- more Amy as a leader as opposed Brilliant. to what Amy had thought was a good leader back in in twenty twenty or twenty twenty one, whenever it was. Um, so I was myself. Um, I wasn't trying to be anyone I wasn't and at the same time I probably wasn't doing that too much either in 2020 but I just thought about it probably a bit more than I did this year Um, I wasn't the loudest in the dressing room definitely wasn't the loudest on the pitch but I found that my style of leadership is to try and lead by example um, and make people feel part of something and good about themselves and try and give that positive reinforcement all the time Um, so that's definitely something that I learned from the GPA Jim Madden Leadership Programme. As such a powerful example, um, you know, in terms of actual practical like takeaways, advice, and but then bringing it to action in your leadership style, um, and also just having that kind of extra layer of, I suppose, confidence within yourself just to be authentic and to be yourself and not feel the need to be like, oh well, I read a book from this person or I listened to a podcast with that person, kind of. So I'm going to try and do that. Like, just I think that's such a that's such an important and powerful example that people will take from this conversation for sure, and then. I was also thinking, I was going to ask you, you so you mentioned the the, the, the Madden Leadership Programme, but you also mentioned earlier too, you're back in college doing another course, which I didn't know about. Like what's going on there? What are you up to in that regard? Yeah, so I started an MBA, again, through the GPA. Um, so I, I'd say it was about four weeks ago, I started that now. Um, through the James Lint Institute in Geneva with Longford College. Um, so I started that. I'm enjoying it so far. Uh, we'll see where it takes me, I suppose. Um, I... I did pharmacy in college, as I said earlier, um, I enjoyed it, but probably never really knew what I wanted to be, to be honest. Um, I always enjoyed school, which is probably an unusual one. Um, I always enjoy learning, so I said I'd go back and, and try something different. So what exactly is it that you're doing now in terms of study and area of study? Like, what is the course itself, did you say? It's an MBA, so business. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, a lot of the time, you know, it's people that are trying to press their career in, in business mm-hmm. or in their organization would, would take it. Um, I did a, another course, business strategy and entrepreneurship before, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and a lot of the, the modules would be very similar. So um, I said I'd give it a try and see how I go on. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like too, then the kind of, uh, taking on the role in work vivo, Amy, and growing as you are there and enjoying that, has that kind of opened up your mind or kind of, tickling some entrepreneurial part of your brain or some sort of business part in terms of something for yourself down the line? Maybe, yeah, I suppose I always enjoyed mm. business in school. It's probably my favourite subject, probably the subject I did best in, in school. Brilliant. Um, and then just probably went away from it in college just for whatever reason, you know, did something else. Um, so I always kind of really enjoyed business, um, dif- different aspects of business. And I suppose my role now allows me to work with different organisations, different industries all the time and you're working with different stakeholders within those organizations during your projects and um, so it's given me a flavor for all of the different roles that are available across lots of organizations around the world yeah and it just again like it sounds like getting those different experiences different people it does also sound like you're someone who is 
kind of eyes open, ears open, and you're kind of learning and kind of enjoying the the different experiences and the novelty of like that learning. Whereas, you know, some people are happier in more kind of straight line or can be more kind of steady, consistent jobs. But it sounds like you kind of like the novelty comes to mind, but certainly the variety of the kind of work and the people that you're doing, would that be kind of fair to say? Yeah, different different industries all the time. Like you could be working with, you know, defence forces in one country. You could be working with, you know, a government body in another country. You could be working with a, you know, a sports brand, a car brand, you know, some of the biggest organisations in the world. And it just gives you a flavour as well of what their culture is like and, you know, what you can learn from their leaders and their cultures. And it's it's just nice because it's a different mix and you're working with different people all of the time and different companies and in different regions as well. So like culturally, it's a, it's a huge learning curve as well. You know, for people with you know really different cultures to us um so that's been very enjoyable for me yeah it sounds brilliant and like i get as i'm listening to you like over the course of the last half an hour or so like i get the impression you're someone who's you know quite a driven person and has that kind of next ball mentality in their day-to-day week-to-week life in terms of you know aiming high and wanting to to push on or to test yourself or to you know, push through boundaries, whatever. Is that something that kind of is part of you and who you are, like that kind of drive to, I suppose, succeed, but also like to grow in different areas? Yeah, definitely. I'm a very driven person. Um, As I said earlier, I just like, I, I enjoy learning as well. So mm-hmm. that's something that, that helps kind of drive me. Um, The desire always to be better than what I was today, tomorrow, you know, that kind of way. Um, So yeah, I I'm definitely would consider myself a very driven person. And I've always been that way. Um, I've always been driven, always been a busy person, I suppose. Um, but it's something I enjoy and I don't really know any different. Um, so I'll keep going with it. <laughs> no, and it, and it seems to be working for you. And you mentioned being a busy person there. And I know I was reading an article the other day as we were getting ready to talk to you here. And Ryan, did you play in like, it was like a, a GA football match, a Camogie championship game and like a soccer match all in the one day. And I don't know what age you are or what stage of life it was, but just in terms of the point you just made in terms of being busy and jumping around the place, like you would obviously, sport was a big part of your life, but I just jumped out at me that you, you know, you're probably running around like a headless chicken to play three games in one day. Is that like, is that just the way you've been since you were younger? Yeah, I've probably always been a very busy and active person in sport. And yeah, I suppose that has happened on a number of occasions where you play yeah. you know, maybe a football championship match or club championship match and then you might have a soccer match on the same day. Um, I don't know if my body could do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely need to, needed to look after myself a bit more than I was back then. Um, but yeah, that that has that has happened to me in the past. Um, now my primary focus is definitely on Kamogi. Um just pushing on a bit so the body can't take the three games in one day anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the joys of being young is when you can run around. Sorry, I said run around like a headless chicken, but I meant just kind of like, you know, just going from one game to the next. And um, I'm sure you played very well and made a big impact in all three of the games. Um, but like you mentioned there, like Camogie obviously being the pull. And then for anyone that doesn't know, Amy, like you would have been a prominent Irish under, or international soccer player underage, like growing up and would have played with the likes of Katie McCabe, I believe, and Chloe Mistaki. I suppose I was curious, like when did kind of, when did this, when did the moment come in life where like you kind of had to choose between one or the other if you did? And kind of what was it that drew you to, I suppose, make camogie the predominant um, sport in your life rather than maybe saying, I want to play soccer or I'm going to play Gaelic football, whatever. What was it about camogie first and foremost? Um, I suppose I genuinely just love playing camogie. Till to this day, I just genuinely love playing. Um, I don't get the same feeling playing playing soccer and Gaelic football than I do playing camogie. I just genuinely, genuinely enjoy playing it. Um, 
was my first love, I suppose, uh, in comparison to, to soccer and ladies football. And I suppose going back to when I had to make my decision, um, we were in an All-Ireland semi-final and we had a friendly game with soccer in Sweden. And I obviously had to pick which one I was going to and I'd made the decision to, to play in the All-Ireland semi-final. So we played in Wexford, I think, down in Walsh Park. Um, so rang the, the manager and just said, look, it's not going to be possible for me to travel with the team. Um, I'll be playing a camogie match. And we were due to then have um, European qualifiers in Denmark it was either Denmark or Sweden and Sweden and Denmark it was one or the other anyway um, when the friendly was and the European qualifiers were but it was the same day as the All-Ireland final in 2014 I think um, and I just made the decision that that was it <laughs> my camogie career was starting and um, unfortunately my soccer career was probably it wasn't ending wasn't finishing there and then uh, but that was kind of the key moment I think where I was really forced mm -hmm. into a decision that I had to make and that was, am I right in saying that was like your first year where you'd broke through onto the Cork senior team and kind of making inroads there and kind of seeing the big, I suppose not the big, yeah, but big opportunities for sure, but also that this could become like a way of life, like, you know, on your terms and like, because I'm guessing like, even though you're young and fit and energetic, like the weight of having to con just consistently choose and like choose one from the other or miss one or like that must obviously weigh down too. And it, does it get to a point where you just want to like, try and become the best version of yourself at one of like in one of these things? Yeah, I think so. And I think for myself, I probably never would have been the best camogie player or the best soccer player or the best Gaelic player that I could have been if I was playing all three or maybe two of them. Um, mm. and, and just at that time, I suppose, I never grew up wanting to be an Irish international soccer player. I never, you know, grew up wanting to be, say, whatever. I just wanted to be a Cork senior camogie player and that's what I wanted. And um, I wasn't sure if that opportunity would ever come around again. Um, so I wasn't willing to let it go. And um, yeah, I suppose that summer, I, Paddy Murray had called me into this, the panel maybe around May. We were still playing minor at the time. And um, I think I trained a couple of times and we had some European championships in Norway. So we made it to the European semi-final. Because of that, I obviously couldn't train for a lot of that summer. And I remember at the time when Paddy had called me in first, geez, I was over the moon and then to kind of have to say oh, I, I can't actually commit to it for however long and at that time I wasn't sure if the opportunity would come again so when it did come again later that summer I knew then that I, I couldn't let it go and that's that's what I wanted to do and that's what I loved to do and that's what brought me the most joy so that's kind of why my decision at the time I remember thinking it was so difficult but looking back right. it was the easiest decision I ever had to make easy because I, in what way I just went with what I loved. Mm. So it was easy. You know, it yeah. wasn't like I loved soccer equally to camogie and vice versa. I didn't. Um, so, but I remember at the time thinking, this is the hardest decision in the world. <laughs> but it wasn't. It was an easy decision, really. If I if I sit back and think about it, it was. Yeah, and I suppose, look, at that point in life, obviously, like you're a teenager and like your perspective on things is just you only know the world that you know and there's this huge decision to be made, you know, and... I think as, I, as I've listened to you there, like you've mentioned the word like love multiple times for in regards to camogie. And I think like, I just love to hear more in terms of like, what is it about the game of camogie itself that kind of really drew you in from a young age? And, you know, I think there's a competitor in you, there's an athlete in you and definitely you, you went off and played other sports and were good at it and could compete. But what was it about camogie that really kind of got under your skin that little deeper kind of or pulled you in that bit harder that you went, oh, like that's the game for me? 
I think there's a lot of skill involved in camogie in comparison to other sports. Um, it's something that you really need to work at. You can't just, you know, not play for six months and come back and be the same as you were. Um, and I know that's probably not the case for any sport, but I think it's much harder in camogie because of that level of skill and, you know, I suppose attention to detail that's involved in, you know, your hand-eye coordination, things like that. The ball is much smaller and you're carrying a stick around with you or a around with you. Um, so I, I love the challenge of that, that it is a, a quite a skillful game and you can always improve your skills. Uh, you know, if you if you miss a ball alley session this week or for a couple of weeks, you know, you're not going to be as sharp in, in a couple of weeks' time. So I kind of like that you constantly have to be at it um, in order to be where you want to be or where you need to be. Um, so I really enjoy that challenging aspect of it. Um, obviously, I just I enjoy the feeling I get when I play and, you know, when I get the ball into my hand, I and take a player on say I really enjoy that feeling love when the ball goes over the bar and into the net or whatever it might be I just genuinely enjoy those feelings um, and then obviously in the last couple of years I became a free taker and I really enjoyed the challenge that that presented to me um, I probably wasn't um, a free taker prior to that outside of the club um, or I wouldn't have been perceived as a free taker but I really enjoyed that challenge of becoming a free taker and having the confidence to, to be a free taker um, and it's probably something I didn't I suppose, not respectfully, but, you know, it's probably something you just took for granted. We were so lucky with Orla Cotter for so many years yeah. that uh, the free will go over hit the it, bar. Hit, hit it over the bar there, Orla, <laughs> like, thanks a million. Like every time it was a free, it was going to be a score when Orla was taking the, the free. So, like, probably took that for granted slightly. And I suppose the level of effort and practice that needs to go into a skill yeah. like that, um, I really enjoy the challenge of that. Yeah, I know. They usually say you only really appreciate a good free taker when they're not there anymore um, because, you know, you have someone else stand, standing over and be like, are they going to get that or, or are they not? But as you as you talked about kind of challenging yourself and taking on that process, like what did, like at that point of your career, what did taking that responsibility on kind of teach about teach you about yourself from be it a, if it's a confidence perspective, if it's a resilience perspective, your mindset or mentality, like it sounds like that's something that you had to like go away, kind of have a dig at and really try and take to another level within yourself, was it? Yeah, definitely something that probably I wouldn't have had the, the confidence to do previously. Um, when I first came into the, the Cork panel, in 2014, I think. I remember Matthew Toomey, our manager this year, he was involved as a selector back then. And I remember one of my very first sessions, he put his arm around me and he was like, come on, we'll take freeze over the cotter. I was kind of like, why in God's name is he making me take freeze? So maybe Matthew saw some uh, <laughs> some promise in me from very early on. But um, yeah, I suppose like the, the challenge of it to take, to go away it takes an, an awful lot to be a free taker, you know, mental strength, you know, there's going to be days where you're going to miss and there's going to be days where they'll all go over and kind of that challenge I really enjoy and the level of practice that has to go into it. Um, I enjoy going taking freeze and I enjoy going to the pitch by myself and um, oftentimes with my boyfriend Danny who kills me sometimes if it, if I keep hitting the ball wide on the near post or on the far post or whatever it might be. Um, but I enjoy the level of practice that has to go into it um, and the level of detail. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it's something that's a good a good fit for you in terms of, you know, like having that challenge to focus your energy on and then using it to kind of to fuel yourself in other parts of the game. And then kind of just as I look to wrap up, Amy, we talked about fueling. Like I think at the start of the conversation, we were like, you know, maybe losing the last two finals and kind of using that as fuel to kind of drive you on and to get back there. Has 
have you thought about kind of how the challenge in terms of coming back next year will be and how like how different of a challenge that is in terms of coming back as being the top dogs and everyone else is now coming for you with that grip between your teeth rather than how you guys have maybe been doing it or like you as a group have been doing it the last couple of a couple of years like is that have you thought about that yet is that in your is that in your mind yet or are you still and by the way if you're still dealing with the or still appreciating the one you've just won that's okay too but I just felt obliged to ask the question <laughs> I know, I suppose it's always in the back of your head, you know. As I said earlier, I genuinely love playing Camogie and it probably takes up the majority of my life, essentially. And, and I love that, to be honest. Um, and, and I do think about the future and I, I am thinking about next year. And please God, we're for, all afforded the opportunity to go back and play Senior or Cork again next year and we'll grab that opportunity with both of our hands. But um, I suppose it will be a different challenge, um, particularly a mental one because you know we've been hunting for so long and now we will become the hunted um but that that's interesting and that's what makes you keep wanting to go back for more um and as i said earlier even though you know you're really hungry when you lose when you win you want to go again you'll always want to go again you'll never be satisfied i don't think i don't think i'll ever be satisfied anyway and um, so i think there'll be still a huge hunger within our group um, and especially with the way we did it this year, beating Kilkenny, you know, a really tight game, beating Galway in a really, you know, tight, horrible afternoon, a great game again, you know, and again, the what the, the final end, performing the way we did in the final, um, that hunger will definitely be there and it'll be something that we will definitely chase again. Um, but again, it will be a challenge for us and I think it'll be particularly a mental challenge for us, um, but one that I'm sure, thinking about the people that are in our dressing room, will really look forward to. No, definitely. It's um, it's always like it, as you said. It's it's a different it's a different challenge. But when you have groups like you have there, and what you've been through, like challenges is part of. That's what helps focus to rise to it. You know. So obviously, wish you the best of luck going forward on that side of things. And I just want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule. I know you've been busy with playing, work with your club, and everything like that. So I just want to say thank you for joining us on the Players Voice. I really appreciate your insight and perspective. Um. And yeah, I know people listening, there's players that are listening all the time will take away from some of the stuff that we've talked about will help add into different pillars or strands of their life. There's definitely nuggets of wisdom in there. And I just want to thank you for sharing them, Amy. So thanks a million for joining us. Thanks, Daniel. The Players Voice podcast is brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. To listen to previous episodes with the likes of Niall Morgan, Lauren McGee, Mary Hulgrain or Neil McManus, make sure to subscribe by searching The Player's Voice on whichever podcast platform you prefer. Don't forget, you can find out more about the GPA's Bio360 program by visiting bio360.gaelicplayers.com. And finally, if you want to find out more about my work as a performance and wellbeing consultant, you can go to www.realtalks.ie. Thanks for listening.